Hello and welcome to Queer as Fiction, where we talk about queer historical media. My name is Eli. I'm Alice. I'm Jason. And today we're talking about the 2020 Netflix film, The Old Guard. Before we get into the episode, we've got a quick promotion for another podcast that we think our listeners would really enjoy. Inappropriate Questions from CBC Podcasts is a show about questions, ones that might be uncomfortable. From how old are you to did you lose weight and can I speak to your manager, hosts Eleanor Hudgens-Lyle, a queer millennial, and Harvinder Wadwa, a dad, talk to people who have been asked these questions to find out where they come from and learn more respectful ways to get curious. You can subscribe to Inappropriate Questions on the CBC CBC Listen app, or wherever you get your podcasts. Now, on with the episode. We have a few content warnings before we start this episode. This episode will contain mentions of torture, murder, violence, war, the military, and the war on terror as depicted in this movie. It will also contain discussion of modern homophobia in the media. If any of that sounds like something that you don't want to listen to, please feel free to skip this one and listen to a different episode. The Old Guard is a 2020 film directed by Gina Prince-Bythewood, the first black woman to direct a major comic book film, incidentally. Oh, And nice, the screenplay good. was written by Greg Rucker, who also wrote the comic book by the same name that the movie is based on. The movie is about a group of mercenaries who are immortal and, more importantly, queer in some instances. <laughs> uh, it was released on July 10, so we're really striking the iron while it's hot and has been well-received in no small part because of its delightful queerness. <laughs> um, so the three of us watched it together and really, really liked it. So we're going to try something new and do a little mostly just like off-the-cuff review episode for you without any research or preparation uh, to see how that goes. So um, I'll tell you about the plot. So I thought what I'd do here is I would tell you about the plot and then um, because obviously most of are just going to be like, gay. We'd be like, hey, like, what do we like about this movie that isn't gay? And then we talk about Joe and Nikki, and then we talk about how obviously Andy was a lesbian for fuck's sake, <laughs> and that we need to see a lesbian sequel, and then we need to see a lesbian sequel, and then we'll be done. Yeah, cool. that's perfect. Okay. Oh gosh, I feel like this is. I can't tell if I'm doing this or this is very quiet. I'm just alarmed all the time, so I'm sorry. That's okay. Wait, I'm rebooting a cat. You what? I'm rebooting a cat. <laughs> um. Okay. Wait, 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 I'm just zooming in, so I'm not frightened. Okay. Okay. Um, so I'll give you a quick rundown of the plot. We're introduced to the team, Andy, Joe, Nikki, and Booker. I don't understand how it's Booker's name still, but that's fine. I think his name is Leleaf, and then they, like, <gasps> made it Oh, true, English. it is. Yeah. Oh, wow. I sound so much more now. <laughs> <laughs> I'm an idiot. Um, I think I only picked this up from like browsing fanfiction afterwards. I don't think I picked this up from watching. Oh, okay. it. Yeah, his name is Sebastian Lelive. Yeah, Lelive, French Napoleon. <laughs> Napoleon. <laughs> he fought under Napoleon. Uh, <laughs> what was that? Guy? I don't know. What was that? <laughs> Um, who are hired by ex-CIA operative Copley to rescue some kidnapped children in South Sudan. The mission is a setup, and they are all gunned down and then they come back to life because they're all immortal and they kill their attackers and it looks sick as hell. We then meet US Marine Niall Freeman, who is wounded in Afghanistan, but wakes up in hospital with her injuries healed. Andy tracks Niall down and brings her to France with the rest of the team, and we learn about Quinn, who used to be another immortal companion of Andy's, 
but who has been imprisoned in an Iron Maiden and has been drowning under the sea for centuries. We also learn that eventually they all lose their immortality at some point. Copley shows the footage of them all coming back to life to pharmaceutical executive Stephen Merrick, who is played by Dudley Dursley's actor, <laughs> and who sends people to capture the team so they can like torture them and do research on them. Joe and Nikki are captured. Niall, who has been ambivalent about her new immortal status and if she wants to be on the team, leaves to go reconnect with her family. Andy and Booker confront Copley and Booker betrays Andy and Andy is captured also. Niall realizes that Booker has betrayed the group and goes back and tracks down Copley. Uh, He has a change of heart because of Merrick's willingness to torture the group and they go to the building where the team is being held and Niall fights her way through until she's able to free them and then jumps out of a building killing (laughs) Merrick and it looks sick as hell. Uh, Booker, they all decide as punishment, is prohibited from contacting them for the next hundred years. I realize I have omitted the fact that over the course of this movie, it's revealed that Andy has lost her immortality. So they say goodbye because they're never going to see each other again. Copley shows him his research on their deeds, demonstrating that the people they've saved and their descendants have gone on to have like a wonderful effect on the world. And therefore, with a renewed sense of purpose in what they're doing, they task him with keeping their existence a secret and finding jobs for them. And then it cuts to six months later, Booker comes home to find Quinn in his apartment. And that's the movie. Yeah. Yeah. So as we've alluded to, there is some canon gay in this and we were very excited and so was the internet. And I imagine we'll spend most of the episode just like talking about that in a not necessarily very constructive way. (laughs) Um, So before we get into that, I guess I wanted to just have a brief chat about like this movie as a whole and what we liked about it and... I guess, what we didn't like about it, if that is the case. Mm-hmm. Um, so what did you two think of this movie? I know, truly, because I watched it with you, and I know we all like liked it generally, <laughs> but what specifically did you guys think about this movie? I'm trying really hard to separate my enthusiasm for the fact that there was canon gay and like consider the other aspects of the movie, because like most of my reaction was just like, oh my god, they're just gay. They're just yeah. explicitly gay. I can't believe this was allowed to occur. I mean, you're allowed to be like, I don't care about the rest of the movie. I want to talk about the gay and just like excuse yourself for the next 10 minutes. <laughs> no, like, I do care about the rest of the movie. I definitely think it was a good film overall, like mm. ignoring the gay. I'm just trying to think about specific things because I didn't really think about them while we were watching the film. Yeah, I, I thought uh, some of the action sequences were really cool. Mm, the fight um, scenes are cool. Yeah. They came up with an excuse to have a modern action scene in like an old French church, which yeah. is great. Yeah, yeah, that's that's always a lot of fun. I really like when movies just throw us into an established team dynamic. Yeah, because mm-hmm. um, so many movies do the getting the band together. Yeah, sequence, yeah. and you know that can be fun. But it can also be fun to have to just kind of learn on the mm. job mm. what I, is happening. I really enjoy the scene where we first like meet the um the four of them and they get together and they're like eating baklava and um And he's like a baklava <laughs> expert. Yeah, they like bring yeah. her some baklava and she's like telling them by the flavors what like country it's from and you're just like, Who are these people? Yeah. Why I does she know that. so much about baklava? Like tell me more. Yeah, yeah. that was a really was... delightful little detail. And there were a few like delightful little details um like that that kind of really make you feel the fact that they are these immortals yeah yeah and they have these kind of long-running jokes and like things about each other that have been going for years yeah Yeah. and they did the 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 great thing of any like special ops secret agent thing where they refer back to missions in particular years yeah Yeah. except they get to refer back to missions from like centuries ago yeah that that was cool i really enjoyed that very cool very they they definitely didn't they didn't overplay that either they Mm, they only gave us a couple they could have 
frankly, in my opinion, given us a couple more yeah, of those yeah. kind of references. But um, they definitely didn't overstay their welcome with any of the, like, gimmicks. Yeah. Mm. Yeah, if anything, cool. I felt like I would have liked a few more historical flashbacks. That's, like, one of my very few complaints about this film, I feel like. Yeah. I just wanted to see more, like, different settings and different costumes and stuff with the same people. Yeah. Mm. That would have been yeah. cool. Yeah, um, I agree that the fight scenes were really good. Um, I read a bit about how they put thought into how to make it look like they were like ancient people who had been fighting together for a really long mm. time and how that would be. And I think that that does come through in just like how they all work together mm. in a lot of like really small granular ways mm. where someone will just like kick someone into someone else. And like, that's not really doing it justice, but there's, mm. Just like so much nitty gritty choreography in this that is just so good and so fun. Yeah, mm. I definitely, I definitely want to. I know that you watched this movie again. Yeah. Um, the other night in preparation for us recording this episode, yeah. I am definitely going to watch this movie again. I would watch it again with you. Um, I would watch it again with you too. Because cool. <laughs> I, I really do want to pay attention to all those little details. Yeah. Um, that I think probably I missed a little bit the first time around just by being like, "Ooh, this is a lot of fun." Mm. Mm. Um, I think also just having that premise. Um, like I, I didn't know anything about the comic book, so this was an entirely new premise to me. Mm. And I think I commented to you guys at the time that like this is the first thing I've consumed in a while that I feel like has a really original, fresh premise mm, and like yeah. isn't part of a bloated franchise yet. I mean, <laughs> if it gets ten more movies, I won't complain. But like, it, it just felt like very exciting and fresh and new. Um, I liked as well that the like new immortal is very like hesitant about all of this and clearly a bit overwhelmed, but she's still able to just kind of like step into that world and be competent. Mm. Um, and I like really liked her character and I had like respect for her. I thought I th they did that well. I think it was a good call that they made her come from a military background. So like yeah. as a fighter, she was already like competent and used to this kind of life and stuff. So yeah. we didn't kind of have to go through a training montage and then try to explain why she could now hold her own in fights with immortals who had been doing this mm. kind of stuff for a hundred years or anything. Like she's a very highly trained soldier. And I think that was a smart move. I yeah. think so too. Yeah. I think like, like your reference to the like getting the band together trope and like training montage tropes mm. and stuff, they could have like they cut out a lot of stuff very effortlessly that could have mm. bloated this movie. And I think that was really good. I really like the whole like found family vibe and getting dropped into a team as mm. well. Mm. And I think there's just like a, a lot of fun having them be from all of these different time periods and like casually reference you know oh back in like 1812 in france just like <laughs> very neat it's a lot of what i like about like vampire fiction oh yeah um, yeah but like it wasn't vampire fiction so i yeah. thought that was good yeah and i think found family vibes and the yeah the new person coming in and not being completely incompetent happening mm. to be like beaten up and then trained and you know talked down to and all that kind of stuff they didn't have any of that none of them are mean to her mm. um so you mm. don't have that like initial like one person on the team is bullying the new person yeah which is just, like yeah, yeah. so overdone yeah yeah um and i felt like she had a character like you already mentioned that she has like a point of view in yes. terms of she is really uncomfortable with this idea of being an immortal soldier and like mm. this is what we do now and this is what our lives are like what the hell yeah. yeah which is a totally reasonable reaction it felt very true to how a person would react to that situation but also like meant that 
it avoided the kind of blank canvas mm, audience mm. point of view character. She wasn't a blank canvas for the audience to relate to. The directors rightly assume that we're already relating to these characters because they're a lot of fun, mm, you mm. know? And they're not, they're not like super outlandish personalities. They're just distinct people. Yeah. I do think as well, um, to like go back to the fight scenes and a few other things that involve like immense violence. (laughs) Um, uh, So like, I like action movies, but I mostly feel like they're bad. And obviously a thing that action movies do is try and like push more and more, like the situations that their action stars are in. Like we were Mm. about like Tom Cruise being like, no, I can climb a helicopter in midair or whatever he's doing these days. (laughs) Um, And it was a really fun way for them to be able to be in like really extreme action scenes without it. Like there's not no stakes, but like you can just, kind of do things to the human body that you can't normally do Mm. because they're fine and it was good like there's a scene where they're in a helicopter or like in a plane a small plane Mm. and you think that the pilot is dead and they're like having this fight so you think they're in like a crashing tiny plane like stabbing the hell out of each other and it looked amazing it was great yeah that scene scene was very good and there's another scene where book is sitting there with like a grenade has hit him in the stomach (laughs) and he's just got his like entrails hanging out and he's just chatting to niall kind of being like oh like some more information you might need now you're an immortal and it's like riley looking down at his own guts worming away (laughs) his body and i was like yes So it was good. It was a good time. Yeah, I, I love the choice of having Booker be the the baby on the team before Niall shows up, even yeah. though he's like the kind of middle aged man. I mm. mean, probably probably that actor is no older than Charlie's Throne, but like he definitely comes off as the the oldest in physical appearance, but mm. he's actually the youngest of the four, and you know makes immature decisions in the plot mm. as mm. a result, and that was that was. I just found that a fun touch, having, you know, you've yeah. got these these young gay men, who we will talk about, <laughs> and you've got this um, ancient warrior woman. I love her. Andromache of Scythia. Yes. <laughs> I, I, I also just love the fact that she's Andy. Yeah. That's just so yeah. good. It's always, it always feels a little silly, but like in the best way. Yeah. And uh, so did we want to talk a little bit about the kind of like through line of Andy's arc and her sort of like feelings of being tired of the life they're leading Mm. um and so forth like the film's introduced with that it shows them all getting gunned down and she's like oh it's always like this it's the same thing i'm so tired Mm. and when the team first gets together they've had a break from doing their missions because she's just sick of it she doesn't feel like they're doing any good in the world and so forth and then the resolution to this essentially is uh copley the ex-cia guy has this like epic wall of red string (laughs) and stuff where he's done a bunch of research on them and he explains like oh no but like look at all of this good that you've done by like saving this person and saving that person and so forth i really want to just go through and take screen caps of like every time we see that wall and like yeah yeah there's a lot of like really silly stuff on there i looked oh at, yeah i That's paused I a lot to. rewatching yeah. it and i was like oh they're in so many like they're like i think they're hanging out in like fidel castro in a picture or something <laughs> they're in so many outfits it's great see that's what i want i that's love great. that they were at gallipoli apparently oh yeah they were at gallipoli, they were I at gallipoli which yeah. like to our international listeners not mean much but that's a battle australians were involved in in world war one that we have built a lot of our national identity around <laughs> Um, so it was very funny to me. 
Jason, I feel like you maybe had like a more useful point. Yeah, actually, like stuff to say. <laughs> yeah, I think it was an interesting choice because yeah, obviously they are kind of you know they're an extra governmental paramilitary organization effectively. Yeah. <laughs> um, Our pals, albeit a very small one. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, they are like the podcast amount of people. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah, there are podcast crews worth of paramilitaries. <laughs> Which is very intense. And, you know, I think it was good and correct for them to engage with a kind of, you know, post-war on terror reality that, like, just assassinating people or taking down dictators or whatever as an external force isn't something that is inherently good. Mm. Um, and, you know, mm. you can see that Andy is very much sick of it and very jaded with it. And it's just kind of like, I don't think we're doing anything. I don't think we're achieving anything meaningful and i don't know i feel like on the one hand it's obviously a bit of a convenient like deus ex machina cop out that it turns out that the people they save like <laughs> generations later go on to like cure diseases and stuff yeah but on the out. other hand it's a copley out beautiful but on the other hand i think that's you know a good way of instead of just being like no 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 really when you take down dictators it's good it's like no it's not about them it's about the lives that you save in the process yeah it's about you know rescuing hostages and stuff hmm. i did feel like i wasn't a huge fan of it where copley goes through and he's like oh this kid went on to cure cancer and this kid went on to do this because i was like I feel like you're telling us that that's why these people's lives were worthwhile and we could have a what I think would be a better message where it's just like, they're people and they didn't die. You did good. They don't have to have <laughs> cured cancer for that to be good. Yeah, I think that the message they're trying to make there though, like they say that like she saves a life, she saves a life two, three generations, we reap the benefits. And that is quite like a weighing up of yeah. what we mm. get. But I think it also kind of gives the message that like when you save one human life, there just inevitably is X exponential good that comes from that mm, um mm, there's yeah. this like jewish belief that if you save <laughs> one life you've saved an entire world and like mm -hmm. that's why murder is so terrible because if you kill someone you've like destroyed an entire world and mm. it refers to the fact that you've not only killed them but also all of their descendants oh, and yeah. like good that they might have done going forth and it reminded me of that um yeah, yeah. i did yeah. think it was a little silly that like this guy started researching them because he wanted to like exploit the possibility of their bodies because maybe it'll cure diseases like the one his wife died from mm. and then he just got like individually obsessed with them as people <laughs> Because, like, there's no but wouldn't reason. you, though? Wouldn't you? I guess. But, like, there's no reason for him, like, once he's been like, oh, yeah, they saved this person, to then re research, like, three or four generations of that person's life <laughs> in order to be like, hang on a second, this really serves the message of the film. So I thought that was silly, but, like, not in a way that made the film bad or anything like yeah. that. I just thought it was a little... It actually... <laughs> That's um... fair. I didn't even think about that. I was yeah, just like, I'm this like... seems valid. Once you started researching these people, wouldn't you just get way too yeah, into it? Yeah, I was yeah. like, why is this your takeaway, you don't know that this is Andy's emotional arc. So what it, what it actually reminds me of in terms of, because uh, Copley is a former CIA analyst who's now just kind of clearly a history nerd. Yes. <laughs> um, and it's almost, it, it's it's like the reverse of um, Tom Clancy's Jack Ryan character who appears in a bunch of his books. Do tell. Um, where d Jack Ryan is a history professor who becomes oh, okay. a CIA analyst. Okay. okay. Um, yeah. So he and Copley could like get a beer and explain to each other why they 
yeah, career choice is better or something. Yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> I'd well, read yeah. That fanfic, I guess. Yeah, and uh, and it's I hadn't thought about that until now, but yeah, it is very much those characters seem very similar. And it's just yeah, if, if you're the kind of person who makes a good CAA analyst, you're also the kind of person who would probably make a pretty good historian because you're just like re- like going through reams of very boring data and finding like specific interesting things about it, mm. and you know speaking very passionately about things that most people don't care about. <laughs> Um, and so yeah i i I quite liked copley i thought um yeah uh, chibotel ajay afford did a very good job yeah i look forward to the like hopefully coming sequel in which he's there you know Mm. research man yeah he's there he's there um he's there like q yeah yeah yeah. and he's got like i don't know like a whole warehouse to put up his red string and stuff (laughs) he's like tell me about this time and they're like i guess there's a treat (laughs) (laughs) um yeah anyway i i think that's kind of most of the like not gay things I liked about it. Did anyone else want to say anything before we go absolutely bananas over how gay this film is? I guess the other thing that I want to say about it is I really liked how, like, first off, there were multiple female characters, which we yes. never get in a team. And secondly, to, like, kind of the newbie... She's not the audience insert, as we discussed, but, like, she is your window into this. Yeah. Is not a generic white man. She's a black woman. And yeah. I thought that was good. Yeah. 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 I mean, I, I guess that. it is worth mentioning that, like... Copley is played by a black actor and Niall is played by a black actor and Joe's actor is a Tunisian Dutch actor and like that was neat that's good yeah yeah I mean yeah like if you're gonna have a team of people from you know all of these different time periods or whatnot and they're white like what are you doing yeah but like I could definitely believe a film would have just done that but like it would have failed (laughs) it would have been bad at something so yes Um, so now I think we should move on to talking about how Joe and Nikki are gay. They're gay. It's amazing. They're so gay. (laughs) Yes. Um, They really are. They are. They are. They're just canonically gay. And it's very beautiful. Yeah. It's wonderful. It felt like just so cathartic Mm. watching them be affectionate with each other. So they're two members of the team. They're a couple. (laughs) One of them is a former Italian crusader and the other one is a former Muslim warrior and they both participated in the crusades initially as enemies (laughs) and they killed each other and then they did literally enemies to lovers. (laughs) Yeah, like real fast apparently. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, so they they, um, exposit about this a bit to Niall Mm. um, and Nikki, like they explain that they met on the crusades and Nikki says, the love of my life was of the people I've been taught to hate. And apparently, yeah, like they killed each other and they killed each other and they killed each other and then they realized they were in love. And that is a very like... (laughs) Abrupt turn of events, but I support them. It clearly worked out. I looked up fanfiction about this afterwards, and I like didn't like read in depth, but sort of started reading several fanfictions kind of about how these two met and fell mm. in love, and I could find none that managed to make that sound like a convincing sequence of events. There's also just a lot of casual background affection between the two of them, so like... Uh, there's a scene where they're all having a sleep in a room together and <laughs> just like spooning. a sleepover yeah they're having a sleepover it's very fun <laughs> presumably they could have slept apart but they all have a sleepover together and uh joe and nikki spoon they wink at each other uh there's a scene where they're both like have their hands tied up because they've been taken captive and they lean their heads against each other and it might be my favorite part of the whole movie <laughs> Um, but all of that is, is like fairly background stuff, um, which would have been nice, but they also get to have this whole big, like declaration of love moment. And then their big kiss, which was just like fantastic. 
Yeah, before we go any further, I just want to say, if you haven't seen this movie already, we highly recommend it, as mm. might be pretty mm. obvious from what we've already said. Yeah. yeah. Um, it's really good. It's on Netflix, so it's pretty easy to access for most people, which Pause is good. this podcast now. Go and watch it. But if you decide not to watch the movie for whatever reason, but continue to want to watch this podcast, or if you've already seen the movie and you just want to hear Eli recount the best quote from the film... <laughs> Uh, which, you know, I'm excited about Eli recounting this quote, so I can't imagine why you wouldn't be excited about it. Um, please, Eli, take it away. Good, I will do acting. <laughs> um, so for background to this quote, they're taking captive partway through the film, and they're in the back of this armored van, uh, and they're, like, on the floor, and, like, Nikki's still unconscious, and Joe's, like, reaching out to him to see if he's okay. And one of the guards... Like, they repeatedly tell him not to do that. And when he is like, yeah, no, I'm like, I'm, what are you going to do, kill me? Um, <laughs> they're like, oh, what is he, your boyfriend? And he replies with this. And my soul <laughs> left my body. Um, he says, you're a child, an infant. Your mocking is thus infantile. He's not my boyfriend. This man is more to me than you can dream. He's the moon when I'm lost in darkness and warmth when I shiver in cold. And his kiss still thrills me even after a millennium. His heart overflows with a kindness of which this world is not worthy. I love this man beyond measure and reason. He's not my boyfriend. He is all and he is more. And then Nikki's like, oh, you're an incurable romantic. And they have like a big kiss and it's great. <laughs> it, that's just fantastic it's dialogue. It's so good. It's like so overdone, but in the exact yeah, right way. Yes. Um, yeah, it is not the time to try and have like restraint Yeah. as a script writer. Yeah. Um, so yeah, it was it was very good. It was like a very cathartic thing to see on screen, especially in like an action film, mm. which are often so like stoic and manly and not gay. Uh, and I think they should be very gay. All yeah, the time. And, and it is the thing where you know you sometimes see with like this most often happens to women in mm. action movies, but I feel also happens to gay characters as well. Where, you know, there's the trope of the kind of, like, tough warrior woman yeah. who isn't doesn't express emotions and doesn't express affection because it's like, you know, the person who's producing that piece of media just wants to make them like the tough stoic men. Mm. And you could easily see a version of this where, you know, these two gay men either fall into the trope of being, like, incredibly effeminate or they fall into the trope of being, like... You know, they don't express Very emotion like, to each other. taciturn and stuff. And they're just kind of taciturn couple. Yeah. But no, mm. they're, you know really competent fighters who are you know very good at their jobs and but they're also very emotional and they connect mm. with each other and they also like you know there's a lot of emotion with the whole team yeah and affection mm. and you know we sort of you talked about earlier about like the casual way that they are synchronized in the way that they fight but mm. there's also the casual way that they are synchronized emotionally and then the then the really deep way that these two are connected yeah um and i think it's really amazing like i, I don't think that we see that kind of like just really good queer representation at all but especially in genre films um you know in films that aren't like about being queer mm. um mm. and especially genre films and i feel like all three of us are pretty like big fans of genre fiction and obviously are therefore particularly starved for the kind of stuff that's in this movie and it just was really good mm. it really mm. was oh. i read 
Yeah. Oh boy. I am going to dive into AO3 later. <laughs> <laughs> um, I read uh, an article that Benjamin Lee wrote for The Guardian and he began it with this quote, which I thought was really good. Uh, Pop quiz. Name the big budget Hollywood blockbuster released in the last decade that featured blink and you'll miss it LGBT representation that was nonetheless touted by those involved as being a major step forward. And the answers he gives are Beauty and the Beast, Ghostbusters, Charlie's Angels, Star Trek Beyond, Independence Day Resurgence, Avengers Endgame, Alien Covenant, Deadpool, Solo, Star Wars, The Rise of Skywalker, Thor Ragnarok, it goes on. Yeah. And after seeing those and hearing them hyped in the media and then seeing what we actually get, seeing this was just really good. It was just really good. Mm. Yeah. 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 Especially thinking about like my slow the slow death of me as a marvel fan which was not caused by but definitely wasn't helped by uh seeing joe russo in his cameo as the first like quote-unquote gay character Mm. in the marvel movies where i had like one line and i don't know this just made me really happy it was good um so as i mentioned screenwriter greg rucker adapted this from his own comic book and he demanded that any version of the film keep the relationship intact to the extent that he had it in the contract Good on him. Yeah. Nice. I love that. I respect you. Uh, also, the director, Gina Prince-Bythewood, uh, said that this was one of the reasons why she signed on and also said that she would have fought to the death to keep that scene in. So unsurprisingly, given the movie we got, it was in very good hands and I'm very pleased with that. Yeah. Very good. Yeah. Good on them. So I think that's about all I had to say about Joe and Nikki. So now shall we move on to the lesbians, <laughs> who are yeah. not canonical, but are lesbians. I find it so satisfying as well that, like, maybe we should fill in what we mean yeah, by okay. the lesbians who are not canonical. <laughs> yeah. So basically, we just think that Andy has big gay energy, and we hope that's canon in the sequel. I, I, don't, I don't even know if it's just, like, it's not just that we think Andy has big gay energy. Yeah. Charlize Theron is definitely going through a career resurgence where... She has big gay energy. Um, <laughs> you know, she was in Mad Max Fury Road. Um, she was in Atomic Blonde. Uh, where I think in Atomic Blonde there is actually yeah. queer oh, representation. Yeah, yeah. Atomic Blonde is queer. Um, and then she's now been in this movie and big gay vibes with her aesthetic. Mm. In particular, uh, so we mentioned that Andy had a previous companion who is now under the sea somewhere, um, called Quinn, and it shows us a flashback of Quinn and Andy's life together, and they just look so in love. Um, so first <laughs> of all, first of all, like, it just had such big Xena vibes, which immediately makes everything feel, like, about 20% gayer, mm. just by, like, association. <laughs> um, where they, you know, like, fighting battles together, and they, like, jump on a horse together and ride away, and I was just like, lesbians. <laughs> yeah. Um, what else was in that flashback? There's a lot of them like laughing around a campfire together and like just having a lot of intense emotional moments. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So there's, yeah. yeah, I guess there's kind of like three um, key things that happen that make it feel very gay, which is, yeah, you've talked about two of them already, which is that we have these kind of cute um, campfire kind of moments where they're close together. We have these battle sequences where they're fighting in tandem and then escaping together. Yeah. And then we have, you know, the the heartbreaking um separation of the two Mm. of them um where they're captured and they're sort of like trying to figure out how they're going to escape 
um and they're they're bantering about the ways that they've been executed and like oh what's it gonna feel like to be executed like this and then quinn gets taken away and put into an iron maiden probably the one form of torture that could stop an immortal yeah and the moment where they realize they go from kind of being fairly jovial you know it's kind Mm -hmm. of gallows humor because they're in a pretty dark situation but they're feeling pretty confident they'll get out of it and then that moment where the seriousness of the situation becomes apparent and they have to like stare at each other and Mm. scream as they're separated and Mm. Mm. it was really well acted like the actress who plays quinn yeah did a really good job given that she was on screen for all of about three minutes yeah Mm. yeah but maybe yeah. That was a strong sequel hook. Yeah, so we were obviously throughout the movie kind of wondering when Quinn would come back because obviously she had to come back. She's very obviously, like the way they talk about it, she's very obviously still alive. Yes. Well, yeah, it's, it's like, it's like there sad. are, what, for the team of four, Niles, the new person, so that's five. There are a total of seven immortals mentioned yeah. in mm. the movie. One of them, Lycan, is mentioned specifically um, because he's the evidence we have that these people will not always be immortal. Mm. Um, He eventually stopped being immortal and died. And then you've got the team of four, you've got Niall, the new person, and then you have Quinn. And it's like, there is no reason for her to exist if she's not going to come back into the plot at some point. Yeah. Her to exist and be canonically definitely alive but lost. Yes. So we throughout the film just started quietly and then ever more loudly chanting, see you lesbian, see you lesbian, see you lesbian. (laughs) (laughs) Because she was trapped in the sea somewhere and Andy did not know where. It's kind of one of Andy's regrets is that she, you know, abandoned the search for Quinn. Yeah. Yeah, this was actually something that I did hear in a review as a negative, not the existence of the sea lesbian, but (laughs) that she's a little bit distracting. Mm. Um, yeah, because she's so heavily, like, you know she's there and you know she's still alive. You think she's going to come back in this movie. You don't think she's just a sequel hook. Mm. And so yeah. you are constantly trying – we were definitely constantly trying to work out how she how, would fit yeah. into the plot and what – and we got close to the end and we were kind of like, oh, there's no time for the sea lesbian? What's happening? <laughs> <laughs> we knew her name. We just called her the sea lesbian. <laughs> um, yeah. <laughs> but, yeah, so then we get the sequel hook where she's just, like, in Booker's apartment. Um, mm. So, you know, she's back and hopefully we'll get a sequel where we'll see more about that. I really hope she's not a villain in that movie. Yeah, I kind of got vibes that or she might she be. Or if she is, that it'll be like a cool, fun type of villain where by the end they're back together. Uh, yeah, I think that's where we're heading. I hope so, yeah. yeah. But um, I, I really hope that their resolution involves Andy and Quinn just like explicitly getting together. I would really like it if yeah. they were canonically C-less. I, I would also accept if we had evidence like if we had flashbacks that pointed to how they were canonical sea lesbians um <laughs> before the sea so just lesbians <laughs> just, yeah, yeah canonical regular, regular lesbians. lesbians land lesbians <laughs> <laughs> what about the air lesbians i did enjoy everything was peaceful until the fire lesbians <laughs> attacked yeah anyway i did enjoy because we had joe and nikki as explicitly queer Mm. characters it was much more satisfying to kind of watch it and kind of think okay so are andy and quinn gonna be gay like what's this relationship gonna be how it's gonna work and you're not sitting there being like so are the makers of this movie homophobic which is what you're usually asking when you ask that question you're just being like oh okay so what are they gonna do with this relationship that's looking kind of queer this is interesting yeah and like to be clear if they're not actually together at any point i don't feel like that'll be like terrible i just like it if things are gay yeah 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 yeah. Yeah. it'll definitely be you know 
some nice bonus gay yeah for the next movie yeah um, if it happens um but i um, do look forward to just like seeing that play out i really hope they get a second movie watch this movie on netflix because eli wants a sequel <laughs> yeah um i will say that uh it's not the only potential source of lesbianism i would say oh uh, yes um, the pharmacy lesbian oh i've forgotten about the pharmacy lesbian. <laughs> the fifth well, yeah. element well i was also just gonna say that i feel like um andy has you know pretty good chemistry with every woman she yeah that's with. true actually um, that's true in that i feel like she has pretty good chemistry with quinn at points and then also, yeah, with the uh, woman she interacts with in the pharmacy, um, who tends her wounds in the back room of the pharmacy. And I, I genuinely yeah. thought they were going to hook up. I um, wanted that, was, that also. That was the one moment in the film where I was like, oh, they are actually just going to make her be canonically yeah. gay. Because, you know, Andy, who has lost her immortality, so her wounds aren't healing in the way that her companions do. So she goes to the pharmacy to pick up some gear to just, like, you know, tend her bullet wounds because she can't get her friends to do it, because she doesn't want them to know that she's no longer immortal, uh, because, you know, it's a movie and there's tension. Um, (laughs) And, uh, yeah, the pharmacy attendant uh, clearly, you know, sort of being looking out for another woman who, you know, she's sort of like, oh, you've experienced, like, you've been assaulted, or, like, you know, something awful has happened to you, takes her into the back room and is, like, tending her wounds, and the pharmacy attendant looks pretty gay, and Charlie Theron as Andy looks very gay. I thought it was going to get gay, um, mm. And it didn't, which was a, a little bit disappointing. Yeah, um, yeah. But yeah, as as you you guys have pointed out, you know, the fact that we knew that the creators weren't being homophobic about it made it fine. Yeah, yeah. Like um, that that scene doesn't have to be gay. It just would be nice if it was gay. Yeah, yeah. Mm. I thought in that list of potential gay partners for Andy that you were going to mention Niall, mm. and I thought, wait, Niall and Andy oh, shit, fight. I- I meant to mention Niall, and I think I said Quinn instead. You did? Yeah. Oh, okay. Well, that's... I'm okay. going to have to cut around that, because... Uh... Just say, like, she has some pretty good chemistry with Niall at times, and just cut it in. Or, yeah. or just say, I also I actually meant Niall, and we'll just have it keep going. Yeah. Um, I think I said Quinn in the previous paragraph. I actually meant Niall, who, um, as the new member of the team, uh, has a great uh, fight scene that Eli talked about earlier, where they're on a plane, mm. and... Um, you know, Niall is just like, what are you doing? Because Andy effectively kidnaps her. Yeah. Um, and uh, even in that scene, I feel like they have some tension. Yes, which um, brings me to my point, which is we've found the air lesbian. <laughs> <laughs> it's true. We have found the air lesbian. Um, very good, very good. And it, it is good just to have, like, you know, you've got these three immortal women who... Um, you know, we've got these three women, they're all different ethnicities, they're all distinct characters, um, you know, obviously Quinn doesn't get much screen time, but, you know, they've, they've very concretely set that up as the sequel hook, so that's mm. good. Mm. And they, none of them uh, flirt with men at any point. True. And, you know, whilst they might not be lesbians... <laughs> Um, (laughs) a valid point (laughs) you know we didn't have to have any forced romance Mm. you know the fact that there were four people on the team like it would have been very obvious to have andy and booker be like exes Mm. yeah that is that i almost assumed that that was happening a couple of times because it very much felt like you've got the you've got the two young gay guys who have clearly just never had eyes for anyone except for... I like how the young gay guys are like a millennium old. <laughs> it's true, yeah. But they are definitely... The, the actors are younger. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The yeah, actors yeah. Are um, sure. 
and then you've got the mum and the dad of the group. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. And it, you know, in yeah. most other pieces of fiction along this line, along these lines, they would have, they would not be together necessarily, but they would have hooked up. Or they yeah. would have sexual tension that we were kind of waiting for something to happen to. Yeah, and they just didn't do that here. So, you know, whilst I can't give them points for it actually being canonically gay, uh, I can give them some points for it not being canonically het. <laughs> I don't think there's any heterosexuality in this film except for Copley's, like, backstory about his wife. Yeah. 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 Yeah, that's true. so that was super refreshing it It was was. great it was really fantastic it Um, was so i think that's about all we've got to say about this movie i don't think that we were necessarily particularly analytical or anything (laughs) but we're still riding high on the canon gaze and uh if this has convinced you that you should watch it if you haven't already i would very much again advise you to do so so you too can ride high on the canon gaze Again, more people watch it, the more likely it is to get a sequel, so... A sea lesbian quill. <laughs> yep. A sea lesbian quill. Yep, that's very <laughs> terrible. The movie's much better than we are. Please watch the film. <laughs> yeah, Greg Rooker is a better writer than us. If you like yeah, Heroes Fact, you'll love this better game. <laughs> <laughs> also, let us know, I guess, how you felt about us taking a break from our regularly scheduled programming to try out a random off-the-cuff review. Um, it's something we've considered doing previously, and I would like to do again when relevant movies come out. Um, just so we can talk about them when everyone's, you know, still super into them and whatnot. But like, if you hate this, we won't do it, I guess. <laughs> um, so yeah, let us let us know what you think. With that, we've been Queer as Fiction. My name is Eli. I'm Alice. And I'm Jason. If you enjoyed this episode, you can find us on Facebook, Twitter, and Tumblr as Queer as Fact. If you would like to listen to more of our episodes, you can find us on Spotify, Podbean, Apple Podcasts, or wherever good podcasts are found. If you do listen to us on Apple Podcasts, we would really appreciate it if you can leave us a rating and a review out of five stars to help us find a bigger audience. And then this episode will find a bigger audience and more people will watch this movie and then we have better chance of the sea lesbians. So get on again. <laughs> um, if you would like to support us financially, you can do so by buying our merch on Redbubble or pledging a monthly donation on Patreon. We're Queer as Fact on both of them as well. You can also find us on our very own website at queerasfact.com where we have links to all of our stuff and resources about all of our episodes. We would like to respectfully acknowledge the Yalakut Willem clan of the Bunwurrung. We pay our respect to their elders, both past and present, and we acknowledge and uphold their continuing relationship to the land on which this podcast was recorded. Thank you very much for listening, and we'll see you next time.